So last week we were, we were having our Vision Sunday, and Wayne was pumping vision here, talking to us about how we need to keep vision before us, and, and how important vision is. And we spoke about how this church and the vision of this church is really centered around discipleship and evangelism, and and, and how we, we've centered all these different things to make sure that those two things actually grow and that we run with them and, and that we're actually doing that as part of our vision. Um, but then when, when I was actually thinking about this message after it, and I was thinking about all those things that Wayne was, was talking about, um, I started asking myself, um, how do we do these things? And, and can we actually do these things? You know, it's, it's things that we pray for as a staff team. It's things uh, that we, we as a church pray for. But I was asking myself, can we do these things? Are we equipped to do these things? Um, do we have the time? Do we have the passion? Um, do we have the energy to do these things? And, and this morning, I, 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 I've titled my, my sermon, All for Christ. Because as I was thinking about these things, can we do it? God spoke to me and he said, yes, you can. But how we're supposed to do this is that we're supposed to live all for him. That we're supposed to live surrendered to him and surrendered to his vision. And that is what will make it a reality. And that calls us to actually be very radical. Because if we just live and we just kind of like, oh, just floating, um, it's very hard for these things to come to pass. But we need to be radical and we need to do the things that are not normal. And we need to do the things that are not ordinary. We need to start living in a life that is extraordinary. And that's the life that Christ has called us to. So before we go into the word, can we just take some time to pray? Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Father God, for giving us purpose. We thank you for vision. And we thank you, Father God, that we can live, Lord for your honor and for your glory. And Father, we just thank you that you take away every hindrance, Father God. And I thank you, Lord, that your word will do its work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, Our anchor scripture for today is John 12, verse 20 to 26. Um, You can turn there and you can keep your Bible there, but it will also come up on the screen. When you're there, you can just say, (laughs) no spiritual significance to that. I just need to know when most of you are there. (laughs) Okay, I think that's enough. Uh, (laughs) It reads, now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came to Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. But he who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. 
if anyone serves me, him my father will honor. It's a very interesting scripture with some very interesting proclamations um, and, 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 and things that happened. So as, as I was sitting and, and looking at the scripture, I, I started asking myself questions. So it says, there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. So these feasts um, were Jewish feasts, uh, but these guys are Greek. So they're coming to a Jewish feast. And so they, the, the fact that they're Greek means that they're Gentiles, you know, non-Jews. And so they're coming to this Jewish feast. Um, and in the Old Testament, um, Gentiles were allowed to go and celebrate the feast and go into the into the into the into into the place of worship, you know. So, um, they were told that they weren't supposed to hinder them. But these guys are coming now, and they're saying they want to speak to Jesus. And Jesus was not the guy who was um, placed up there by the by in those time by the Jews of those times. Um, he wasn't like the high priest or anything. He he was just kind of like doing his side ministry. He wasn't in mainstream, you know. Um, so so these guys are coming and they want to see Jesus. And they come to Philip, and and Philip, instead of just going to Jesus and saying, Ah, Jesus, you know, there's these Greeks here that, you know, he he, he doesn't go that route. What he does instead is he first goes to Andrew, and he's like, Hey, Andrew. These guys, they want to see Jesus. And, and when I was reading that, I thought about when I was a child. Um, I have sisters and a brother. Um, but I, I, spent, I grew up mostly with my sisters. And we were naughty. So there was a lot of times where we did naughty things. And, and, and then we got ourselves in trouble. Um, and, but once this has happened, we, 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 we were sitting... Like, if the parents weren't there, so we know we've done something wrong, we know we're in trouble, and we know that when they come back, we're going to be in trouble. So what we would do before is we wouldn't just go to them directly, but we'd first sit and discuss what are we going to say, how are we going to spin this, you know? And then when, when the time comes and the time is right, we're going to go together, or maybe we're just going to start crying and act like, you know, whatever the case may be. And I started thinking about that <laughs> when I was reading about these guys, that they, they must have been scared, you know, to just go up and say, Jesus, these Greeks are here, you know. Um, so so, so they, they, they decided that, you know what, for, for moral support, let's go together and tell this guy. And in, in, in typical fashion, Jesus, um, he was told one thing, and then he goes on completely about something else. Isn't this problematic for you when you read the Bible? You find people asking him a straight question. This is a straight question. And then he just goes that way. And you're thinking, why is this guy a politician? <laughs> but there's always, there's always method to that madness. Um, and I'd like us to unpack what he said. Um, he said, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour has come that the Son of Man will be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. So I, I, I just paused at this point and I 
started like, okay, so he's, this guy's talking about wheat and grain. And I don't really understand the wheat and grain. So let me, let me just do a crash course in, in agriculture or, or maybe botany, whatever, whichever one you want to, you want to call it. Um, but over there is, is a, is a picture of wheat. That's a wheat kernel. Um, and it, it, it it's on th- those things. You, you get like five on average or uh, on each stalk or ukun. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so you get about five of those on average and on each, on each wheat kernel, you, you get about 70 to 80, um, grains. Sorry, yeah, you get about 70 to 80 grains, um, on that. So those things that look like beads over there, like you, you get 70 to 80 of them on average on each one, you know? Um, and it's actually very fascinating how this thing grows. Because all you need is one of those little grains, one of those little dots there that look like a pea, to just fall into the ground. And then when that falls into the ground, what happened is, as you see the bran over there, that starts um, sh- um, shaving off. And then the germ, which is in the center, that starts growing and starts sprouting and starts um, taking nourishment from the soil. And the result of that is that a greater harvest or a greater seed will come. Sorry, greater fruit will come. And that this will actually um, ex- grow exponentially. That when this grows, it becomes, so let's, 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 let's just do the math here. So there's like f- about five kernel, kernels. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna find the myth with here. I, I don't have the answer. You guys must tell me. <laughs> so there's, so there's like five kernels on each stalk. And each stalk has an average 70 to 80, um, kernels. And, and then these actually bring out uh, so much. So let's just think about all five kernels and, and all the grains actually falling into the ground and then all of them replicating that process. So each grain will get the stalk that will come and then get five kernels and then all, and then more 70 to 80. Wayne says 60,000 or he says 160,000. I'm not sure if I believe him. If there's a calculator in his hand, then I believe him. <laughs> so, so that's a lot of growth, right? So, so this is basically what Jesus was saying. That if, if, if I do not like this grain fall to the ground and die, then there will not be exponential growth. Then there, I will not bear as much fruit. As, as, as this grain and this, as this grain of wheat can. And if you look at, um, a human burial, if you, if you compare this as well with a human burial, um, ordinarily what we think is when someone passes away, we think that this is the end. We think that, you know what, th- 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 there's nothing after this point. But what Jesus was also doing here was he was saying there's a different reality. I'm calling you guys to a different reality. What you know is that you just need to stick to one kernel and just stay there until you die, until the sun just um, squeezes you out and you die. 
without actually making any more and without replicating and without actually teaching everyone, without actually doing anything more than yourself. And, And what he was saying was, even when you die physically, that there is still life. That there is still more that can come from you. That there's still more that can come from what you have done. So Jesus was calling these guys to something much bigger than them. He was, he was opening their eyes to a whole new reality. That you know what, you used to, okay, you just have your life and you just live it and then that's what is going to happen. But what he did was he gave up his life so that so many of us may know God and so many of our lives may be transformed and so many of us can know the only true God. So he became like this grain that fell on the ground and the brand was peeling off in all its pain, in all its anguish. But something much greater came out of that. But you'll notice that there's actually a cost. There's a cost to, to this grain actually falling into the ground. And that cost is pretty obvious. It has to die. <laughs> you know, and, and, and sometimes when we, when, when we think about the things that Jesus calls us to, we may think, you know what, this is too much. This is too much, but I've actually looked at um, the lives after Jesus has come in and people, when, when, when they've given their lives to him, and their lives are much more impressive and their lives are much more better after they, he comes into their lives, after he changes their lives, after the, this death that he, he, he does, and that, that he comes and he, 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 he plants so much fruit and so much awesomeness in people. So this cost, though it seems like it's a bit too much, at the end it's always worth it. If we think about the, the life of Apostle Paul, we all know Paul, right? Superhero of the Bible. Yes, no? Okay, I'll tell you a bit about him. Some of you are like, ah, I don't know, maybe I do. Um, so, so Paul was relatively well educated and, and he was relatively well off. Um, he had climbed the ladder in Judaism, in the Judaism hierarchy, and he was a reasonably influential man. You know, he met Christ and asked him to forsake everything, um, and Christ asked him to forsake everything that he knew, the way that he knew it. And he literally changed his entire life, including his name, from that point onwards. And this was the result of what happened to him. He had to align himself with the very people that he was killing. So before he had met Christ, he was killing Christians, the people who were following Christ. And then he meets Christ, and Christ tells him, yeah, go to them. Be their friend, help them do what you were killing them for doing. That couldn't have been easy. I'm not even going to mention the point that he was blind. That after that, he just went blind. (laughs) But he started seeing again, and he went from authorizing people to be stoned to him, to himself being stoned until almost the point of death. He was whipped with rods. And, and with whips. And more than three times he was shipwrecked. 
He was jailed frequently. He went hungry and thirsty, cold and without sleep. He was bitten by a snake and faced numerous near-death experiences. So this is what happened to him after he met Christ. Things don't look so good, do they? (laughs) But in all of this, he accomplished great things for the kingdom of God. He stood before kings and governors and high priests and he proclaimed Jesus. He went to and led missions and, and church plants to Asia, Africa and Europe. He planted strategic churches in economic and cultural hubs like Rome, Athens, Corinth, Philippi, and Ephesus, to name just a few. He taught strong biblical doctrine. I mean, 13 of the, conf- of the confirmed letters, in, um, thir- he wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. 13 of the 26 letters in the New Testament, 28, 27, 27. <laughs> Somewhere there. I think it's 27 though. Like 13, that's almost half of the entire New Testament was written by him. So strong doctrinally. And he taught, he wasn't only strong himself, but he taught others after him. He was a father. He mentored. And he made sure that the life of his, the work, his life's work wouldn't die along with him. He raised leaders. He raised the likes of Timothy. He he took them to missions with him. He taught them what to do, how to do things, how to lead people. So even though this guy paid um, quite a heavy price and there was a huge cost, his life was, was so impressive afterwards. So sometimes we, 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 we look at our own lives and we look at, you know what, this, this right here where I am, I'm comfortable. This is okay. But what I'm here to tell you today is that unless you die like that little grain of wheat, unless you, 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 you forsake it all and, and, and hit that ground and let the, and let the cost tear away at you, you'll be hampered. God has so much more in you that he wants the world to see, that he wants the world to witness. There's so much impact inside of each and every one of us that God wants. And that is what he was telling um, the, 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 the disciples here. He was telling them that unless you die, unless you give of yourself, unless you live all for him, then you'll never experience the fullness of him. You know, I'm, I'm reminded about another time when the disciples, um, they, they, were in a, they, they asked the, the Jesus an interesting question. They're like, but Lord, we have left everything to follow you. And they only said this after Jesus had met with a rich young ruler. And this guy, um, he was like, you know what, I've, I, I've followed, I've followed this, um, I've followed these, these commandments since I was young. You know, I've done this and I've done it. So Jesus is asking him, oh, so do you, do you love the Lord your God? Do you, do, do you honor your mother and father? And he's like, you know what, I've been doing all of that. But what can I do to actually get eternal life? And, and eventually Jesus says to him, you know what, what you need to do? Forsake it all and follow me. And because this guy was rich, because he had a lot of stuff, because he had a lot of things that he loved, he couldn't do that. He couldn't let go 
He couldn't be like that, um, that widow who when Elijah came knocking, when she had just, just this much or less, and Elijah was like, I'm adding a third person to this meal. And she was like, well, let's all eat and die. <laughs> but that was her faith. Her faith was like that seed. She was like, you know what? Whatever I have in my hand, I will, I, I, I will plant it. I will plant it. And I pray that the Lord may bring a, an exponential growth, that he will bring a hundredfold. And that is exactly what happened in the life of that woman. That she had so much and it just kept on pouring and pouring and pouring. And she had to, to add more jars because God was just pouring so much over her. And that's the life that God has called us to. But so often the cost seems so great and the cost seems impossible for us to actually take. Like that rich young ruler. I don't know what could have happened with him if he followed Christ. But that's the last we hear of him in the Bible. He could have been like, like one of the disciples. Matthew, as soon as he encountered Christ, he let go of everything. He gave, he gave like three thirds or half of what he, he had to the poor. You know, there was radical transformation. His life drastically changed. And as a result, he lived a life much better than he could ever have lived. I don't know. I don't know. I speculate here, but maybe this rich young man could have been written in the book of life. His testimony could have been so great that God would make an example of him. But he chose the comfort. He chose what he knew. He chose what was near to him and what was familiar. And as a result, he forwent what God had for him. You know, we, we, we go out a lot to do evangelism with Benina, Shine, <laughs> and Kwanele over there, and Dala, and a couple of other guys who, who, who come and, and, and do evangelism. Um, but in doing evangelism on the campus and, and, and here in the, in the community, um, there's, there's something that usually happens. That you, you speak to someone who is very open to Christ. And you can see visibly that they're excited about what you're telling them. And you can see that they, they, they love this. And man, they look like they want to give their life. Now, you, you can see the excitement in their eyes. And when you come to the crux of the matter, when you ask them, are you willing to commit your life to Christ? Are you willing to give your life and surrender it to Him? It's one of the sad things. When someone who's looked so enthusiastic and so, and so excited for the gospel, when they take a moment, usually look down and say no. Why is this? Because we recognize that there's a cost. We recognize that there's a cost. I asked that question, why? I've heard a number of different reasons. Oh no, I've got a girlfriend and I, you know, if I, if I do this Christ thing, then I need to let go of her. You know, I've, I've, uh, I, I, I swear too much or I've done too much. God can't forgive me. But all that is, is that people saying, you know what? I'm okay just sitting in this kernel. I, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm comfortable over here. 
I want to keep all of these things that, uh, uh, that are, and I don't want to see this exponential growth that Christ has for me. When you're coming and you're giving them a different reality, a greater reality to what they know. And then they want to stick to, 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 to the confines of their own life. And say, you know what? No. And I know, also having given my life to Christ, that it's very uncomfortable. It's a scary time. You, you, you don't know what to do. There's so many things that you, you used to do that you need to give up. Um, you used to speak a certain way. Now you need to change. You, you, there's certain relations that you had. Um, now you need to break up or you, you, know, you need to change your relations or you need to strengthen other relations. You know, sometimes, sometimes we're like, you know what, I don't want to forgive. So if I do this Jesus thing, I know he asks us to forgive. So because I don't want to forgive, then I'll just hold on to this. But we need to give it up. We need to give it up. We need to die. We need to surrender. Because there's so much more on the other side. Like there was in Paul's life. Yes, at the beginning it might be hard. Yes, at the beginning it might be uncomfortable. Yes, at the beginning you might be, might be in fear and everything might seem new to you. But there's so much more. Just like we see the life of Paul. Paul, it was so impressive after he had accepted Christ into his life. After he let Christ use them for his glory. Who knows Steve Murrell? A couple of us. <laughs> okay, I'll take this opportunity. Um, Steve Murrell is the pre- president of every nation. Um, so he's the one who's presiding over every nation globally. And he's the co-founder as well of Every Nation. And there's a story he tells of a, of a lady in his, in his congregation in Manila, in the Philippines. So this was a, this was a wealthy... Okay, before I get to the wealthy lady. A, there was a lady in his church who actually lost her purse. So she was at a mall shopping and she loses her purse. Uh, boo-hoo, I lost my money, I lost my cards. Hey, what am I going to do? Um, you know? So it's a, it's a bad situation. So she goes home, she tells her husband about it. Um, I can imagine if my wife came back, like, oh, I've lost my purse. Oh, I'm so sorry, dear. I don't know what I'll do, but so sorry. Um. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, but, but while this was happening, there's another lady who was also in the same church. And, and this lady was a, she was pretty well off. She was a wealthy lady, you know, and as she was driving off with the driver, um, she just felt like she needed to go to this particular lady who had lost her, her handbag. Um, she didn't really understand it. She didn't know why she needed to go to her, but she just felt she needed to do it. So she just was like, okay, she told the driver, turn around, let's go to this lady's house. Um, and they go to the house and then they knock uh, um, at the door. And then the lady answers, and this one just says, you know what, I, I feel God telling me to give, give you my bag. 
um, she, on the way to the house, she'd actually, she'd gotten this revelation because she wasn't sure why she was going, but she actually got to understand. So, I, and she actually put some money in there as well. She left some of her money in the bag. So she gave this woman the bag, and this woman was so thankful, and she told her the story um, that she had lost her bag, and it looked exactly, catch this, this bag looked exactly like that one that she'd lost. And and this woman was like, oh, thank you, thank you so much, this is, it makes me feel a bit better, but, you know, I've lost this, and the other woman's like, oh, okay, no, God, will, God is for you, God is here, and then, and then she leaves. And then when the other lady goes inside and she looks inside the bag, there's, there's money. And this money is exactly the amount of money that she had lost. Yes, she had lost all the other things, but that money was restored as it is. Um, but there's, there's a moral to the story. That lady over there, her son was with her at the mall. And her son saw what happened, what God did. She saw how this lady, who didn't know what had happened, had just come and give that bag, and it was the same amount. Imagine what it did for his faith. And that wealthy lady, she didn't think she could hear God. She thought God speaks to other people, but not me. And when she had enough faith, and she was like, you know what, I don't know why I'm going to that house, but I'm going to go. And when she actually took that leap of faith, that's when God actually revealed to her that I can speak to you. You can hear my voice. Yes, this lady was wealthy. Maybe this bag didn't really cost much for her. Or maybe she had a, it had sentimental value and she really liked it. I'm not sure of those. Of those. But what I am sure of is that in her saying, you know what, like that little seed, I'm willing to plant this bag and I'm willing to plant this money. So much more good came out of that. That little child saw the glory of God. He saw the sovereignty of God. She learned that God can speak to me. What is God calling us to? What are the hard things? What are the difficult things? That when we look at them, we're like, "Ah, I, I can't do this. What are those things in your own life? Can you just take some time to think about those things right now? He who promised is faithful. And unless we die like that seed, we miss out on a transformation. We miss out on purpose that is far greater than we had ever imagined. We miss out on eternal identity. We miss out on healing. We miss out on eternal life. We miss out on, on a God who defines integrity. We miss out on a God who won't lie to us. We miss out on a loving relationship with the Father. And I've seen many of these lives impacted by God. And before is always much greater than the after. God does things that you cannot even fathom with your life. 
And that's why he's so trustworthy. That's why we can trust him. And usually what really keeps us from giving our lives is because we're not sure what's on the other side. We're not sure who we're entrusting our lives to, but he is so worthy. He has proven it time and time and time and time again. I've seen so many people giving their lives to Christ. And before and after is so different. I've seen them on campus. I've seen them here. I've seen them everywhere. None more than myself. There's so much more that he has in store. Can you just take some time to pray? I get a sense that there's someone who suffers with headaches. And these headaches are ongoing. Um, and it feels like it's been a while. Um, if that's you, why don't you just put your hand up. Just slip it up quickly. And I also feel like there's also someone or some people here who they, they just believe that they, they, they can't have children. Um, nothing's ever been proven medically, but they, there's just a belief that they have. You don't have to slip your hand up. But if that's you, I'd like to pray for you as well. Father God, we thank you that you are a healer. And we thank you, Father God, that in your name, that you rid us of all infirmity. And we thank you, Father God, that these headaches are gone in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father God, that you bring truth, Father God, when the devil brings lies. We thank you, Father God, that we will have children, Father God, and that we will be fruitful and multiply, Jesus. Father, I, I, I cancel, Lord, the plans of the enemy in these people's lives, Father. And I thank you, God, that your word is sovereign and that your word is true. God is saying that's a lie. Amen. Let's look at the second part of the scripture. It says, He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for, it, for eternal life. So I was looking at this part, and I was like, uh, is this guy really asking us to walk around hating our lives? Oh, I just hate my life. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. My, my brain is animated like that sometimes. <laughs> but was this really what he was saying? I'm, I'm going to tell you a story and hopefully it will, it, 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 it will encapsulate the, the essence of what he was saying. Um, I, I gave my life to Christ on, on campus, like Wayne was saying. Um, but the reason why this is, the, the reason why this is significant is because at that point, I really didn't like where my life was going. You, you could say I hated it. Um, I had, I had a lot of relational struggles, um, with some family, siblings, and so forth. I, I had a, I had a couple of things that were there that I was struggling with. And, and actually the life that I was living 
was not the life that I wanted to live. Um, my heart, when I, when I sat down and when I thought about what my life should be and, and what I was actually living, there was, there was a disconnect. You know, so when I, when I, when I met, when I, when I met the, these, these ladies who, who eventually led me to Christ and, and led me to church, um, what, what they did is, is they actually just told me what was already happening in me. They, they, they just drew it out. Like, you know what? They, 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 they poked holes at all of these things that I was doing, that I'd, I'd grown so accustomed to defending, not because I loved them, but because when I looked around, I didn't see an alternative. I didn't see anything better that I could actually give my allegiance to, that I could actually give my energy and my time and, 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 and my all to. So what I did was I just went with the flow. Whatever they were doing, I will do. And they drew this out of me. And they were like, you know what? You don't, you don't really like what you're doing. And there is an alternative. There is something better. And from that point on, gave my life. Totally surrendered. There were a little bit hiccups here and there. But I totally surrendered. <laughs> Just a couple. And I mentioned that because I don't want it to seem like when you give your life to Christ, it's a, it's a magic formula. Um, like I said, there is a cost. There, is th- there are things that you need to endure. There are things that you need to fight off. There are things that you need to fight for. And sometimes you might be tossed to and fro, but God will keep you sturdy. But the reason why I tell this story is, is, is because that hate that Jesus is talking about is literally hating your life. Um, however, it doesn't mean that now you will hurt yourself or you will do things to, to totally jeopardize yourself. What he, means, what he means sorry, is that you need to hate your life that you have conceived for yourself. You need to hate your life that, and, and, and that vision and that thing that you have come to without him. Because I was ready. I was ready to do so many different things with my life. I was ready to, to give my life to so many different things. But when he came, he was that block that made me stop dead in my tracks. He was that block that made me lie down on the ground and die. I chose to give my life to him. Second Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. So, this is a very powerful scripture. And I think sometimes we don't really get the, the marrow and, and, the full, and the full weight of what it actually says to us. What we usually see from it... Is that, you know what, when you give your life to Christ, yes, I give my life to Christ, I will live for Him. That, that moment, you know, when you make that prayer, 
That's what we usually see it as. We usually see it as, oh, okay, once you've made that prayer, you're a new man. You're a new creation. The old has gone, the new have passed. But then I think sometimes in our minds it remains there. That you know what, okay, now that I've made this prayer, I'm a new man. And then you'll, you'll, you'll encounter some people who, who will call you into connect groups and who'll say they're discipling you and they teach you about all of these concepts. They'll tell you about lordship. They'll tell you about, about being Christ-centered and all of these things. Um, and then you, you, you learn to, to, to walk with these things. You learn to, to incorporate these um, few things into your life. And then when these people are not giving you, now do this and, 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 now, and now work on this in your life. Then we think that's it. And we think the new man is complete. And we think, you know what, I'm done. Uh, I'm already coming to church. I, I fast sometimes. I can pray for myself. I can read the Bible. You know, I, I, I tick the boxes. But there's so much more to the scripture. There's so much more to the scripture. And with the examples that I've used, Paul's life was going that way. Jesus said, go that way. That's what he means when he says a new life. Paul could have been like, okay, you know what, Jesus? Yeah, I like your ideas as well, but I also like mine. So let's make a deal. I will, I will take these few ideas. I'll walk this way for a little while until I get here. And then when I'm here, I've got everything that you had to me. Okay, I'm going to start walking back with what you have given me. And I'm going to try and work it on this side. I'm going to try and make it work. And I'm going to try to push forward and go over there. Isn't that what we sometimes do? We forget. When the, when the, when the honeymoon phase is over. When life becomes real again. Then we start thinking, you know what? My colleagues are still the same people. My friends are still the same people. My family is still the same people. Maybe let me, let me just, just pull a little bit here and, 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 and practice some ancestral worship. No, I've still got this. I still trust in you. I still know you. That's like Paul saying, you know what? I know it's not okay to kill Christians, but I'm going to be a Christian and then I'm going to carry on killing Christians. That's like taking two things that really don't mix and really trying and trying to force them in so that they really are one. But what he actually says is that, you know what, you are a new person. The old has gone and the new has come. And we need to accept that reality today. That the old is really gone. That it's not just an attachment into who I was before, but that I am a completely new person. So when people you knew before come to you and they ask you, why do you do this? But you are that person. Your answer is, I am a new person. Your answer is, the old has come, the old is gone and the new has come. Your answer is that that is who I am. You are right. But this is who I am now. And then you start confessing scripture to them. Even, even if you haven't reached that, um, that goal yet. Even if someone is saying, no, 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 but you, you, you used to be very, um, you, you, you used to swear so much. And you're saying, no, 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 that's not me. Even though you know that sometimes a couple of swear words still slip out. But you need to take those words like Wayne has been saying, and you need to speak them over your life. You need to pray that God will help you overcome that. You need to pray that God will, will help you overcome and that you will endure. 
You know, sometimes Christianity can be seen as just a means of managing sin. Of just getting to morality. You know, okay, I'm going to give my life to this guy. And just so, just so I can be okay. Just so I can be a good person. Just so I can be ethically inclined. But there's so much more than that. We're not called to manage king, sin, but we're called to impact the kingdom. We're called to build the kingdom. We're called to shape the kingdom. We're called to heal diseases and cast out demons. We're called to, 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 to people and to baptize them to Christ. To call them to Christ and to baptize them. We're called, um, we have the power of the Spirit inside of us. The power of the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. Do you think God does that just so we can manage sin? Just so we can look good to the other people? There's so much more. There's so much more. And this scripture says the old has gone, the new has come. There were some things that seemed good in your life that were working. Just like they were in Paul's life. You know, he was well off. He, he, was, he, was, he was doing well in Judaism. He was he's climbing the ladder. But God called him for a different line altogether. He said, you are a new person. I'm not saying you need to stop everything you're doing. I'm not saying you need to quit your job and not care about what your children are going to eat. What I am saying is that you need to listen to where God is calling you. Listen to what God is calling you. You may have been doing things that seemed good or were good before, but he's got so much greater. Whatever you have, he can multiply it by at least 50 times, at the very least. We need to stop playing small. And we need to do what he's telling us to do. And if that dream seems too big for you, then don't you worry because he is in it. And it's so big because he's going to walk you through it. He's going to be there with you. He's going to do it with you. So God actually, after all of this, he says, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my father will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Jesus did what the father did. He said what the father said. He sacrificed himself like the seed. So that you and I and so many others may know Christ. So that you and I and so many others may cheat death. He brings us a different reality. And we need to align to that reality this morning. He served the Father even to the point of death. Another question. Would you be willing to do that? Serving Christ to the point of death. So many other people have done that before. Not just the disciples. We know them. We've got people this day and age who are living their lives in dangerous Muslim countries for the gospel. 
They have Bibles, which are outlawed, outlawed books in those countries. They are running connect groups. They are missionaries in those places, in dangerous places. There were university students in Kenya who were shot because they were Christians. But you know what? When, when, when Lazarus had died and his, and, his, and his siblings were crying to Jesus, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. So it's not only this life that is at stake. There's eternity at stake. And we need to live our lives as though we're already in eternity. We need to live our lives for eternity. We need to live our lives all for Christ. Won't you just stand? What a word.